such beautiful music and really in, in its smallest possible form, that line from this house to the world is, is what I'm talking about today. It's the perfect segue to a state of the church conversation that I wanted to uh, share with you this morning. This is the first time I've done a state of the church conversation, and uh, I don't want it to just be sort of facts and numbers, so there's some stories in here and some other pieces to really share with you where I think we are, where we were, where we are, and where we're going. And I will say this, if you're a guest here this morning, I think it's a great Sunday to be with us because you'll get a really good snapshot of what's happening at First Universalist Church. But I love that, hold on to that, from this house to the world. So I want to start by asking some questions. I think that's important before we get into the state of the church. So let me ask you this question. What are you doing here? (laughs) What are you doing here in these pews? singing in the choir, signing up for circles involved in our racial justice work. What are you doing here in church? What are you doing here? What's the point of church? Let me come at this another way. Kind of back into it, if you will, and just share with you a couple of things that I'm pretty sure church is not, and then that might help us land like what church is and what we're doing here together. So let me tell you what I think church is not. Church is not a social club or a country club. Amen. And you guys can talk to me because the first service, the choir was talking to me, the people in the pews were talking to me. But the minute, the minute we start to act like a social club or a country club, we lose the heart of our faith. We have lost our way. Church is not a club. Church is not a Democratic or a Republican or an Independent or a Green Party mouthpiece. All right. All right. We have different opinions in this faith community. What grounds us is some core values, and we speak from a different place. We cannot hitch our wagon to a political party because we have to be able to speak truth to power wherever that power is in whatever party it might be. Churches should not be aligned with the political party. Uh-huh. All right now. All right now. Church, here's another one. So that's two. Church is not about the minister. Amen. 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 A wise minister once said to this congregation, a wise minister once said to this congregation, fall in love with church and the ministry of the church, not the minister. Because ministers come and go. Fall in love with the church and the ministry of the church. Church is not about the minister. Here's one more. Church is not a place to narrow our religious understanding, but to widen it, but to widen it. And so I share that this morning because when I use words like God or prayer, that does not mean I'm a Christian or that there's a secret agenda to turn First Universalist into a Christian church. That'd be crazy if there was. (laughs) When I use those words, I'm speaking to something bigger and transcendent 
than any of us. And God does not belong exclusively to Christianity or Islam or Judaism or any faith tradition. But too often in my experiences in Unitarian Universalist churches, despite our claim of religious openness and religious acceptance, our faith communities become a place where we narrow our religious understanding. Intentionally or unintentionally, we narrow our religious understanding. Church is not a place to narrow our religious understanding. So what then, friends, is the point of church? Why are you here? Here's where I put my money. Here's where I answer that question. Church at its best, gives a community of people the rituals and the stories, the traditions and the spiritual practices that help us wrestle with and even answer at times those essential questions in our lives. Those questions like, how do we best live knowing that we will one day die? How do we best live our lives knowing we will one day die? And how will we connect with and serve something greater than ourselves? How will we serve something bigger than our own needs and desires and wants? How will we discover what is worthy, what is truly worthy of our deepest loyalty and love in this world? So I would suggest to you that the purpose of a church or a mosque, or a temple, or any faith community is to hold space for those questions and then let the tradition and the rituals and the practices speak. It's to help us hold space to answer some of those questions, to align our actions with our beliefs in this world, and to help us move toward lives that are holistic and integrated. So if we're going to talk about the state of the church this morning, We have to understand the real purpose of church. Here's the next question I want to share with you. Who owns the church? Who owns the church? Now, there's we do. These are all legitimate answers. There's there's an author who wrote a piece around this. His name is, is Dan Hotchkiss. And he says, you could say the board of trustees owns the elected leadership, owns the church. You could say the congregation owns the church. You could say the staff and, and, the, and the congregants in partnership own the church. You could say God. Some churches, some faith traditions would say God owns the church. Those are all answers to that question. Who owns the church? But Dan Hotchkiss suggests, and I resonate with this, that a more useful answer to that question, who owns the church, is this. The owner of a congregation is its mission. The owner of a congregation is its mission. A congregation exists to serve its mission. And the duty of the congregation's leaders is to discern the deepest aspirations and values that make up that congregation's mission, and then to articulate that mission well, and to ensure that what the congregation does will help realize that mission. The owner of a congregation is its mission. Dan Hotchkiss continues, and I love this part because this part is 
so countercultural. He says, Dan Hotchkiss says, the job of congregational leaders, this is boards, clergy, lay leaders, and staff, the job of congregational leaders is not to give the members what they want. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? It's not to give the members what they want. Now, there's probably some nuance to this, right? I, I'm willing to grant that. But he goes on to say, for one thing, if the only mission is to current members, the congregation will soon die. And so the mission must be not only to change the lives of members, but of others yet to join. He goes on to say, a real problem with democracy and congregations is that future members do not vote. <laughs> right? If they did, at every meeting, they would make up a majority. <laughs> right? We are standing on the shoulders of those who came before us who had a sense of who would come after them. Another reason congregations cannot simply give the members what they want is that part of the mission is to teach people to want things that they don't want. Uh-huh. <laughs> Amen. There was a funny moment in the first service. I'll share this with you all because I figured out what happened. I did some detective work and solved this mystery. I said that line in the first service, right, that part of the mission is to teach people to want things they don't want. And there was sort of this, like, laughter that exploded over in the choir. I'm like, that's not a laugh line, I don't think. Like, what's, <laughs> like, what's happening here? But Randy, our choir director, had flashed to the choir this song, this music that they're going to sing in April that is probably the hardest piece, the hardest piece the choir has ever done, right? So he's like... I'm going to give you what you don't want. And they're like, oh! <laughs> so in April, we're going to hear these people on the other side of this wrestling of, oh, no, 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 that's too hard. We don't want that. We, uh, let's just sing something else. To, well, we'll try it. Let's see what we can do with that. Let's do it. So there was some laughter there. and that was, I didn't know what it was at the first service, but I figured it out. <laughs> to teach people to want things they don't want. Members, Dan Hotch goes on to say, members of vital congregations testify to many ways the congregation has drawn them out of themselves into service, into changes of career, and into hard work for social justice. Sometimes I ask such people, writes Dan Hotchkiss, what would you have done if someone warned you how joining this congregation would transform your life? Generally, they admit I would have run the other way. <laughs> Pleasing people, members, future members, leaders, or anybody else is not the mission. The mission is to change lives. Yeah, amen. Who owns this congregation? The mission does. In the universalist spirit of love and hope, we give, receive, and grow. I understand that to say we give, receive, and grow into love's people, the embodiment, the incarnation of love in this world, and we do that acting for justice. Those two questions, what is the purpose of church, why are we here, and who owns the church, are deeply important questions to understand as I now speak to the state of the church at a high level. You'll notice 
in your bulletin, there's information from the board. Next Sunday, we're having a state of the church uh, meeting forum, so I will speak to particular questions there. Today is high level. I want to remind all of us that it was less than two years ago that our associate minister, Kate Tucker, retired. And we had a really good goodbye with Kate. If we're honest with ourselves as a faith community, it is fair to say that the church's three previous ministers, Terry Sweetser, Susan Milner, and Frank Rivas, all left under challenging circumstances. They were painful goodbyes, not good goodbyes. But Kate left well, and as a congregation, we started to live into and write a new story. And Jen Crow was welcomed and embraced by this congregation, and it has been a joy to work with her. And she has been busy in the past year and a half building the program life of the church. Jen helped recruit and hire Reverend Elaine Aaron Tenbrink, and thanks to their work, we now have dozens of circles, places for deep reflection and open-hearted listening. We have five Wellspring groups, five of these groups, which offer a place to dive deeply into Unitarian Universalist history and theology and spiritual practice. We have an elders group that meets monthly, and there's a steady flow of visitors and new members and even longtime members. I met someone last week who's like, hey, I used to be really active 19 years ago. <laughs> I'm back. I'm like, that's awesome. There's a steady flow of people coming into this church. Our religious education program, we're all in here on Sunday morning, but we have 500 children and youth registered in our program and hundreds of adults who are teaching and youth advising them. And it makes my heart sing on Sunday mornings when our chalice is lit by those from our religious education program. Because when we're back there doing our centering time and prayer time before the service, they're just as nervous as I am. But when they come up here and light that, I see the pride that they carry as they hold that peace, that ritual of our shared worship together. And our shared ministry in this church is strong. We have hundreds and hundreds of leaders. We have them in the choir. We have them serving as worship associates. We have them as pastoral care team members, as circle facilitators, as intern committee members, as leaders in our faith in action, members of the jazz band and the rock band. We have a visual arts team. There are so many places where we can live into those questions about what are we doing here? How do we answer those questions? There are spaces to answer those questions. And thanks to the leadership of the Reverend Ruth McKenzie, our Minister of Worship Arts. And by the way, having a Minister of Worship Arts is a remarkable, amazing thing. As I talk to my colleagues about this, they say, you have a what? Like a, a Minister of Worship Arts? I'm like, yeah, listen, here's what Ruth does. She works with an awesome choir director and our, and our pianist and, the, and other music, music, musicians in the church and just creates this whole singing bowl of the Sunday morning worship that holds and cares and tends to our spirits. And when it comes to our faith in action ministry, it is something of a new day in my estimation. We are learning to move together as a congregation in our faith in action work. We helped, we did our part in the marriage equality work this past year. The ministry team, like this was 
this was an amazing thing, right? Remember, like, now, like, all these states in Utah and even Oklahoma are like, oh, yeah, okay, we're, you know, it's turning. But at the time, I don't mean to make light of this, but recognize the role we played in a larger coalition in turning the story around in Minnesota. You can see that rippling out around the country. So that is something... And at the heart of that was our faith, saying love is love. We believe in a God of love, a spirit of love, that people who love each other should be recognized and treated the same in the eyes of the state. And we had a big wedding party. Remember the big wedding party we had here? We had chapels set up around this space, and it was my great joy and privilege. The ministers married. We married a bunch of couples that day, same-sex couples, in a celebration of love. As one body, we did that work. And then again, as one body, with the house that love built, this partnership with Habitat for Humanity, we set what we thought. When, when Jen and this Habitat team was talking, we are like, $60,000? That seems crazy. Let's just put it out there and see what happens. Can we raise $60,000? So I don't know if you've seen the updated board, the house downstairs. We raised $115,000 for the house that Love built. That pays for the house, basically. It pays for the house. So, so when we're moving as one body, doing what we can, because people were making homemade mango chutney and selling quilts and having creative fundraisers and kids were bringing in change. When we are all acting as one body, we have a sense of what we can do. And so now we have a house to build and we have legislative work and lobbying at the Capitol to do around affordable housing, but something in there caught fire in us as we caught a glimpse of what it means to move together. Our son, all through the Christmas holidays, kept grabbing loose change off the counter and from the car, saying, I want to bring this money in for the house. Like, I want to bring that money in for the house. And there's something else amazing that's been going on for a while here that I don't know if we really understand what it means. So I want to tell you what I see and what I think it means. Here's what I see. Over the past four years, we have been vaccinating ourselves against the most dangerous infection of our time, the infection of scarcity and small, non-imaginative thinking. That's a dangerous infection, and we've been vaccinating ourselves week after week against that scarcity mindset. You're probably wondering, what is he talking about? Let me tell you what I mean. This, we have been giving away $60,000 a year through our offering plate. This year, if you add the house that love built money and the offering plate money, we will give away nearly $180,000 to the community. That is more than a tithe to our community partners. That is a deep expression of generosity, which is at the heart of our faith, this wild, abundant, extravagant sense of deep love and generous love. And I know some of you have said to me, okay, well, that's awesome, Justin, but what about the offering? Can we really afford to give away the offering every Sunday? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. But let me set the record straight about what happens here, because this is 
Ministers don't really do math very well, and I don't understand how or why this works. I'll just share the numbers with you, and you can sit with them. When the church kept every penny in the Sunday morning offering, we kept about $25,000 for our bottom line. Okay, whoop, $25,000. When the church started to give away 50% of the offering, we still kept about $25,000. When the church started to give away 70% of the offering, we still kept about $25,000. I don't understand how that works, except to say, I think we're aligning our actions with our deepest values, which is this wild sense of abundant, generous love at the heart of our faith. And Sunday morning is a time where we make that real and we say, yes, we want to support our community partners in their work in the world. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's, a, it's awesome. And I didn't even mention our foundation. This church foundation we have gives away sixty to $75,000 a year to small organizations deeply committed to equity and justice issues, racial and otherwise. It is the same heart of love that undergirds our own racial justice work. Of course, we all have different experiences and life stories around race, racism, and whiteness, but we are clear that racism and our faith are fundamentally incompatible, and we know that beginning this racial justice journey will fundamentally reshape the DNA of this church, and we will lean in with listening and love and commitment. That kind of focus and clarity the house that love built, racial justice, giving away the offering. That kind of focus and clarity feels new to me. I think it feels new to us. I imagine it does because I've talked to some of you in the social hall after the service, and some of you, I had a conversation with one of you not too long ago, and you said, well, you know, it just seems like all we're talking about lately is the house that love built and racial justice and becoming love's people. <laughs> I, said, I said, exactly. <laughs> right. Like, that's the mission-driven, transformative work of the church. We're not doing a thousand different things. We're focusing. We're clear. We have momentum. But it's not all roses, as the saying goes. There are challenges and opportunities in front of us. We are a large and growing church, and some of you have told me that things in this church feel too top-down now. But I want to suggest another way to hold that, to hold that image. For a long time, I would suggest to you, there was no top. I'm just saying it like I see it right now. There was no top. There was no strong ministerial leadership or staff leadership. And so if we're going to stay with that top and bottom image, there was no top. There was deep commitment on the bottom. Lay leaders stepped into leadership in this church and carried it for a long time. Lots of loving, committed lay leaders did that work. It's what held the church together for a long time, but there wasn't a strong partnership between staff and lay leaders. So now there's a top and a bottom, and I'm done with the top and bottom image. Turn it on its side where you have two, two ends holding this creative, dynamic container for the mission and the vision of the church to come alive, working in partnership. That is what I see happening. The board of trustees is clear about their governance role, and we, that is us, 
in this space are clear that we're charged with making the ministry and the vision come alive. And it is. It is. There are a thousand people here, children and adults, every Sunday. There's a whole other service, just like you all, in here at 930. And there's a whole bunch of kids, just like there are at this hour, at 930. Almost a thousand people every single Sunday. You can feel the energy in this place, but the staffing... But from a staffing and internal infrastructure perspective, we have been struggling to keep up with some of that growth. It's no secret. We've had a number of staff transitions this past year, which has added to those challenges. And for some of you, these staff transitions have created confusion, a lack of clarity about who's in charge of what, and perhaps even on some level, some distrust. It's been a challenge. But I do believe that we now have a solid administrative team in place, including a communications manager who will help us update our website. Because let's be real honest, the website, <laughs> it could be better, right? It could be better. And, you'll be avail and you will be able to meet our admin team during a meet and greet after a service in February, on February 9th. They'll be in the social hall so you can put a name with a face. I also want to say a bit about our Faith in Action director, Deb Rogers. She has left her half-time position for another full-time position, and we are right now in a time of discernment about how to best support the Faith in Action ministry in the church. I know that some of you are hoping that we will hire a full-time Faith in Action director. We would love to be able to do this, but right now it is not my top priority nor the board's top priority for the next fiscal year. You may not know this, but last year we cut some staff hours and salaries as well as programming costs in order to create a balanced budget. So this year, the board and I hope to restore the cuts we made last year and move toward competitive compensation for our hardworking and very dedicated staff. So, thank you. You all have a hard, we have a hardworking and dedicated staff, and there have not been significant raises for the past three years. And when I see, when I look at what we did together for the house that Love built, I really do believe that we can do anything we put our energy and will behind. When our collective vision drives it, we can do it. So for this next fiscal year, we're hoping to raise significantly more in pledges. $200,000 is the dream. That would allow us to restore the cuts we made, to move toward competitive compensation, to consider a full-time faith in action position, to begin to plan for a third worship service in the fall of 2015, to add online broadcasting of Sunday morning worship and our memorial services so people could be here in spirit with us, those are all dreams from our strategic plan. So why am I sharing this level of detail with all of you this morning? Because you need to know the state of the church, the opportunities and the challenges that are in front of us as we strive to fulfill our mission. Remember, it's not me that owns the church. It's not my church. It's not the board's church. It's not even really your church. It is on some level, of course, but the mission owns the church. And together, in the universalist spirit of love, we are called to give, receive, and grow, working for justice in this world. What are we doing here, then? What are we doing here? 
We're getting vaccinated against fear and scarcity and small, non-imaginative thinking. We are dreaming big and building lives of meaning and purpose. We are offering a vision of love and hope to the world. From this house to the world. From this house to the world. Hand in hand. Amen. And amen.